0: Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open.
1: What's going to spill first, your mouth or your guts? Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 404, Something Borrowed, Something Green, comes to you now via Orion Plagiarist.
0: And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Just yesterday, Pete, we were talking Ahsoka episode six, uh, in what was a, a jaunty discussion about a, uh, a, a a turning point in the series. Yes,
1: and there we're uh, three quarters of the way through this series. There's been so much to digest. Uh, so heading towards a a big finish here. Get over there and listen
0: in hollywood the finish line between the writers uh, and the producers the finish line of that strike may be in sight i think most people would say it's in sight whether it gets wrapped up today or not is still uh, a live situation as we record but uh the several days of conversations and the continued leaks out of there Weirdly, all from the studio end, um, just do suggest that the you know the the gaps have been closing, and apparently they're now in the lawyer stage where you know I aspire to this, and studio agrees to it. That's being put into formal language, which itself can come with potholes and peril and all that. But home stretch, hopefully, Pete.
1: Guarded optimism, Matt. This amid the studios final best offer so we'll see that is a negotiation ploy tends to fall short
0: as somebody on twitter said i believe was a writer so apologies that i'm ripping this off from somebody else but they said oh best and final offer so i guess if the writers reject that that just means all the studios will close up shop because their best and final offer was not accepted you know
1: there you go you (laughs) put yourself out in a world like that what do you know
0: uh apparently too. apparently best and final is a more of an inside the negotiation room lawyer thing it doesn't quite mean the same as it does to regular people which i don't completely understand but pete such is the nature of entertainment uh, lawyers meets labor relations and all of that so i don't know but hopefully hopefully uh the next time we talk on a podcast there's a writer's contract
1: yeah maybe we'll have something additional to celebrate tonight during our 10th anniversary gala google meet
0: indeed the link to that is on patreon.com fantastic geek you do not need to be a patron to go and find that link the link is open to all honestly we just didn't want to have the link out there on social media and have random drive by you know here let me decloak my klingon bird of prey (laughs) um and just
1: will henceforth forever be known
0: (laughs) again our thinking not a not a patreon plug as much as it's a place where every week you hear us talk about patreon patreon.com fantastic geek you can go there click on the link looking forward to that discussion 6 p.m eastern time tonight uh, pardon me sunday september 24th
1: Yes, and as perhaps the Writers Guild strike comes to an end, Matt may have some creative involvement, but nonetheless, the Star Trek Universe panel at New York Comic-Con, you noticed something about it this week.
0: Yes, between its initial announcement, which I think was two weeks ago, I I know we talked about it, or one week ago, I know we talked about it on the recent Lower Decks podcast, since that time and since it formally uh, hit the panel lineup for new york comic-con and all of that uh, it's now been trimmed to an hour so the notion that i mean i don't mean i don't mean to sound optimistic or pessimistic but the fact that that hour will consist of obviously some moderator or host saying some opening things pressing play on an episode for 25 minutes at which point you're past the 30 minute mark so if you do some star trek questions or if you do some this or do some that all of a sudden you hit the 42 minute mark or so and go awesome well this has been great everybody have a good night you know so uh, a lighter panel but uh, such as it is i suppose but for now pete let's head into the ready rundown
1: program complete enter when ready
0: on an orion ship orion lower deckers or plunder sorters with perhaps Higher aspirations, but on the bridge, the ship comes across a small vessel, the pearlescent villain that we've come to know this season. The Orion ship's power relays fail, and it is blasted away. On the USS Cerritos, Tendy has cataloged all the transporter filter items, and she's got a hole in her schedule. Just in time, Captain Freeman says that Tendy's been granted leave to go to her sister's wedding. Tendy seems to not want to go. But with the uh, missing Orion ship issue, Starfleet wants to show it's green with sympathy. Mariner and Talin will come as well to learn about Orion culture and the real Tendi. Besides, they could use a break from the weird emotional closeness of Rumi's Boimler and Rutherford. On the verdant plains of Orion, the ladies land at Castle Tendi. It's impressive. They meet the parents who share that Sister Erica has been kidnapped. Yawn. It's an Orion tradition, but the timing is off tendy as the prime daughter has to lead the rescue next stop club slit throat where oddly everyone is in awe of tendy mistress of the winter constellations mariner catches a knife no biggie but madam g will share info only after a round of murder bug drinking game nial still loves to erica off to the next stop, an Orion hump dungeon, where the males are confused by Orion female pheromones, but they see Niall, who runs and is caught. He's hooked on the stink, not attempts to win Erika back. erika has been seen in the ship graveyard, a spot where the sisters used to go when they were little. The one ship inspired Tendi to join Starfleet and abandon her upbringing as a top-tier assassin. And Da'air is Erica, who kidnapped herself. They fight physically and over Tendi abandoning their family, making Erica the new prime. But Erica is a better prime. Time to fly the ship to the wedding. It's a beautiful ceremony. Back to the Cerritos in the shared quarters of Boimler and Rutherford. They're totally on the same page. Courteous, helpful, and the best of bros. Brotherford! But who shall miss the bonsai? A little bony. Disagreement. But they have a holodeck sesh planned. Maybe they'll blow off some steam there? But on the hollow steamboat, both men are dressed as Mark Twain. Hashtag twin twains. Grits, grits, grits. But being humble crumbs on the biscuits of wit leads to two twains finding common ground, and they come up with a bonsai misting schedule. They're called to the bridge where alien Kokor is opposed to the nebula being scanned. How can Freeman find common ground? Brotherford pitched twin twaining, but it doesn't translate to these captains. However, Kokor wants to hear more about the bonsai. He sees it, he eats it. The nebula may be inspected. The Lower Deckers all reunited. The ladies recap the highlights of the wedding. The fellows recap twin twaining as almost as good as an Orion wedding. Next time, they'll compromise as twin Mozarts to end the episode. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have an incoming tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with That mysterious small vessel back again
1: i have cracked the case i will speak about it in theories i know what it is
0: now we don't have a
1: name for it uh we had it pop up the first two episodes seemingly not in the third matt it was and uh yeah, the reappearance here, although uh, cast a little bit differently. So you may want to fast forward right now to our theories.
0: Well, Pete, shades of uh, our podcast for Discovery Season 1, Episode 4, <laughs> where you dropped the uh, Voke is Ash Tyler, Ash Tyler is Vogue" theory, um and then it was either in between segments or maybe during that segment you said hey let's let's hit pause so i can go get a go get a drink of water or let the dog out or whatever it was and you it was like okay we're discussing oh it's a good theory pete you step away and i go oh yeah that's 100 percent it like once you get to process it so uh, i look forward to hearing what you have to say while we're still talking about threats pete can we talk about the threat of tradition yes here the Orions
1: and the uh, bride nappings and the trappings of being the, the prime daughter, uh, trained assassin who just wanted to go do science things for Tendy.
0: Yeah, Tendy is living Tendy's best life in Starfleet. That much is clear to us. Uh, despite the seemingly attractive nature of living in castle tendy with staff and uh, giant platter things to uh, driven by swarthy men uh, to, to take you around and so forth. Uh, it's being honest to yourself, even if, I guess, you no longer line up with that sense of tradition.
1: Madam G finds herself on our list next, Matt. This the high school a uh, friend of Tendi that she engages in maybe the strangest uh, drinking game of all time ever seen in Star Trek?
0: <laughs> well, certainly, I mean, Madam G in in just the one scene, uh, a fun presence, certainly. I think the storytelling uh, pivot in terms of go here for more information and then get the information and leave all of that kind of clear enough. Uh, I do think of the number of times in the prior seasons that we've said, uh, I wish I could get to know more about Tendi. I mean, this clearly the episode filling in a lot of those, uh, a lot of those bare spots on memory alpha. And um, Madam G talks a good talk, but can't, can't drink as well as Tendi, which of course leads to a really close encounter with the next threat, that of the murder bug.
1: Yeah. I don't quite understand the physics of this game you do a shot and then you gotta activate a shield over your hand before it gets you well
0: I think I think you only have shield you only get access to the shield button or the latest shield round or something after you've taken the drink. so I it's guess. like drink I'm before the sting yeah
1: person I I don't need um you know competition to hydrate
0: well uh certainly it's a it's a close call there from adam g with the murder bug uh the story moves on to ingrita who is like uh the orion ursula i, I certainly <laughs> yes. certainly yeah. that was the original sketch uh-huh. give us
1: ursula but orion and also have men sniffing her armpit
0: <laughs> um look if you're gonna have the you're gonna have the enlightened future and all of that, but then also Orion's from literally day one have been the carve out to be as lascivious as as one might want to be in all of that. I mean, this uh uh Ingrita's hump dungeon certainly is I won't say unique in Star Trek, but uh, I feel like it's just in the Kurtzman era where we've well, I was gonna say where it's it's only in the Kurtzman era where, we, where we've dug deep into the uh the Orions like this are, of course, Orions uh, and Enterprise wearing less than we see in this animated offering. So I guess it's I guess it's just a Star Trek thing.
1: From Ingrita's sanctuary to uh, a Chalnoth here, Matt, not seen for a while in uh, you know Star Trek on a screen, Kokor.
0: Um and. An interesting, Kokor comes at an interesting point in the plot. We discussed last week how it it's kind of equal thirds. And here, clearly, Tendi is the A plot and Brotherford is the B plot. Um, Not the most advanced B plot ever. So to sit and say Vaven Intersect, I wouldn't really call it a C plot. But then the Brotherford duo need to now get looped into a larger mission of trekking in the stars and boldly going and, and all of that. Um, a fun enough character here, one suited for animation, one suited for big voice work, um, and, you know, a mild Star Trek lesson of sometimes you gotta let the alien eat the bonsai tree to feel happy about scanning the nebula because hooray, science
1: and drink your mist as well. Uh, And then Matt, who knew we had a secret sister coming in to Erica?
0: Yeah. Fun addition to Tendi's background um, in that lower decks way where, you know, Erica's problem is Tendi left and thrust prime daughter upon Erica, who's actually a better choice to be a prime person. And, uh uh, is a better choice to be a starfleet scientist so it's not really a problem after all um again very lower decks and a very star trek solution there um i wouldn't mind the character of erica returning maybe even this season as we fight the pearlescent small vessel um that's again a fun addition to to the supporting supporting roster Let's use our long-range sense oars to scan for some theories. Pete, crack the the pearlescent small vessel situation for us.
1: So the uh, PSV, as you're labeling it there, I just call it the season-long threat ship. Uh, first seen in this episode, eluding the Orions, or maybe just minding its own business. But uh, they uh, chase it down. And it turns around, it rears up, and man, I'm embarrassed, it took me this long. When it rears up, it's got two ears instead of the wings, it's got two purple eyes, it's the koala.
0: Hmm. No, look at it. <laughs> okay.
1: Put them put side by side, It's it's the koala.
0: So... I mean, is it to, to build it up from there for me? Is it the koala? I mean, the koala that has been presented as this vestige of
1: it's not your time yet, Boimler? Uh, is it connected as you discussed last week to Billy Boimler and it's not your time yet, Bradward? Um, I'm not sure, but they are. They are completely uh intertwined the uh koala and this ship
0: it does feel like a lower decks thing where clearly each season we veered into the um kind of traditional Star Trek territory like you know end of the first season it's the baddies are beating up the little ship and then Star Trek fanfare and Riker and you know, all, all of that um to kind of consciously move away, or even last season, the bad moral, um, to kind of go for something a little bit more ethereal and mysterious. I think that if it is the koala, that's something that could be revealed in the next couple episodes. And then the mystery is, but why, but, you know, from where and things of that sort. But, uh, Pete, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in the book with ink here because uh, you're the guy what done cracked Ash Tyler.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Just throwing it against the wall there. But uh, yeah, this dawned on me in this episode. And I look at the two and I'm like, yeah, when they put it in the credits, no less. It has uh, purple eyes. This has got to be something that they've thought about doing for a long time. Uh, Matt, you, you look at them. it's him
0: um it's it's tough it's tough to deny it's tough to deny the the, uh, shape
1: of the ship when it when it rears up like that i i also don't think they're killing it's killing uh the ships i think it's much like with boimler last week going to you know the the in-between space the near-death experience, I I think they are someplace. It's a distractor that, you know, oh, we're on the bridge here of the Orion ship and we get shredded down to nothing.
0: I'll say, too, the way that we've seen the ship um, turn around and kind of, you know, uh, with the, the vertical arrangement there facing the ship that it attacks, it occurs to me, kind of looking at the two pictures here, the kind of white um the white central light if the whole ship lowers its face a bit then that 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 white light that kind of is in the the forehead as has been presented it could lower a bit and then it kind of looks like a nose and it's oval it is it's oval it's... albeit d- different oval orientation but you know it could be the oval of the koala nose and all of that that would also make the the fins be pushed up more into koala ear territory as opposed to kind of side so I think I think you're on to something, Pete. I really do. I really do.
1: And, you know, take the text of the episode. Uh, why is Tendi granted leave? Tendi, not uh, her two colleagues who strangely get to drop everything and go. Um, the disappearance of an Orion ship, not the destruction of an Orion ship.
0: True. Uh, and let's add to it correct me if I'm wrong, but we have yet to hear of, um, we have yet to hear that to, to hear of the Cerritos being aware of the Klingon ship and the Romulan ship being, uh attacked. Uh, I hesitate to say destroyed now, but th- that is known to us, but not the ship, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. So I definitely one to keep an eye on any other theories coming out of this kind of otherwise rather buoyant episode.
1: Well, as i said before that we split our lower deckers here that uh you got the girls trip on the one side you got brotherford on the other uh like an eighth grade dance <laughs>
0: um I, and i think to the benefit of um certainly the 10d story i mean that of the four lower deckers she's obviously gotten the least background and so forth um while also weirdly getting, um, maybe getting the most f- future correction, you know, in that she's gone from medical to science and expressed an interest in being um, chief science officer one day, a captain, and so forth. Uh, if nothing else, they've they the show have seen how the audience has really taken to her, and I th- I would suspect those are adjustments that have been made along the way, particularly since the other three characters really haven't changed. You know they haven't changed divisions. Okay, Rutherford for uh, comedy's sake for part of one episode, but they kind of they've all remained on the same path, whereas hers has changed.
1: And then when we bring in the concept here of Talyn going on the trip to observe to uh, write a report, um, that her report was damaged, thrown out the window of uh, a runabout that is somehow in a starship graveyard on Orion um, that could conceivably still be found and all of the ethics involved in that.
0: And it's certainly nice to see, to in her Vulcan way, uh, you know, her friend, seeing her friendship bonds grow, whether she's agreeing with Mariner that, uh, that uh, the, the, the boyfriend, the former boyfriend, uh, at the Hump Dungeon uh, is indeed aesthetically pleasing. Uh, or I know it was noted. I actually think by one of the uh, one of the background artists who I follow on Twitter um, had had noted in one of the scenes towards the end how Talin is giving the smallest of smiles, which of course for Vulcan is the the biggest of expressions. Um, she's a good addition. It, it makes me think, Pete. You know, when Cheers started, there was the barfly. Norm and it took a little while to realize you needed to have another bar fly to sit with him and I think Cliff started showing up as a just one of the people at the bar in the second or third episode but it wasn't Norm and Cliff until they kind of figured oh you need to add here and that does not take away same thing with our four lower deckers now now five it's a, it's it's just a really solid addition
1: speaking of five Matt the tendy attendee- clan identified here the fifth largest family in the syndicate i guess grandma's work on a uh orion science vessel back in strange new worlds didn't pan out
0: <laughs> uh or she was just another crazy tendy who left the family biz to go off on her own thing or pete why not both maybe her science uh exploits somehow fed fed back to the family in terms of things she found or science she pioneered or, or things of that sort.
1: The decision to mine the Mark Twain holodeck gag in this episode, the twin Twains only, uh, enhanced by the ability of our performers,
0: uh, Star Trek characters, cosplaying much as real people cosplay as Star Trek characters. Um, I thought that Jack Quaid was a good faux Mark Twain. Um <laughs> however, Eugene Cordero, I think I think he was more spot on in the in the extravagance of it. Um but again, not a criticism. It it was really funny, really funny to have them, you know, dueling. Um and it gave us it look, it's not the funniest ending ever that now they're gonna be twin Mozarts working things out like that, but it's it's as good an ending as any.
1: The Orion Club called Slit Throat. Uh, No subterfuge there. Total, direct, not even going to hide meaning.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, part of what the Orions bring you is that sense of 20th century, 21st century, if not other era, but the sense of modern, to us, excess. And it's so antithetical to the Star Trek perspective that's that of course is the fun of it you can go to a place like that and spend some time there and nonetheless come on home to your safe ship when it's all over
1: all of which plays into the mariner stab gag
0: <laughs> yeah which was a good a good through line i i wonder if in the construction of this episode and with them covering so much tendy stuff i mean clearly clearly this was built to be the Tendi backstory episode that we, the fans have been, been, been asking for. Um, is there the worry that you lose Mariner in a, a little bit? Well, not with the ongoing knife gag Um Talin can fade into the background a bit more as a newer character. Um, and of course you've already taken Brotherford on their own much smaller adventure. So yeah, weirdly the knife gag, I think a way to keep Mariner involved in the story.
1: We knew that Tendi was important before this, moniker of mistress of the winter constellations but that she was going to be the tip of the moonlight blade here the prime daughter uh going to be given the greatest duty of that title Uh, she's a princess and she's in starfleet as a you know lieutenant junior grade
0: and honestly i kind of like that they call out like oh this is like a Billups situation um again i think that this was probably not part of tendy's backstory when the series started um and in so far as they got paul Shear to play billups and okay that net na- you know obviously a supporting character but let's raise the 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 specter of the character to the level of the actor and give him a backstory and that's a it's a fun twist to say they left aside all this stuff to be a commoner in the star service Uh, you want to hit that hit that song twice okay again the show kind of calls it out on itself uh and i don't think with any complaint coming from us
1: i think the cerritos mission in this episode best given the short shrift the old phase shifting, oscillating nebula, by the way, as far as tropes and, you know, Star Trek, everything's in a nebula. There's no other stellar phenomenon than nebulas. Nebulae.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um And again, I think that this there's perhaps there was a version of this episode that just had. The A plot, Orion, the B plot, Brotherford, personally, work, you know, the two of them working stuff out. Um, I'm going to assume that maybe the Nebula stuff, the command crew stuff, was added um, in the drafting process to kind of just up the stakes and and to tie things together and all of that. But it's a good addition, if indeed it was that.
1: Will Lil' Boney rise again?
0: Uh, no, I think you're going to get Lil' Boney too um it's like Groot yeah <laughs> maybe you get reference to it maybe it's just a one and done but i don't think there's gonna i don't think there's gonna be like here's little bonies twin clipping that we've now grown back or something like that but for now pete let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open, sir. to twitter we go pete where the poll was Uh, which storyline would you want to play in the holodeck which storyline from this week's episode Uh, at the lowest level was nebula scanning with the captain however that did get almost 27 percent so we have some science fans out there next and twain got 30.8 percent and the top winner pirate party 42.3 percent some replies on twitter andre yeager at dr polo 1983 says still loving this show get i loved getting some of tendy's backstory and how she is ashamed of her wealth the show keeps you laughing while having some depth keep it up uh next i'll always call it twitter at kclyle1 uh, went with the Twains, the Boimler-Rutherford conflict, and interactions were the best part of the episode for me. The Rutherford switch from Twain back to himself when he left the holodeck was hilarious, but the entire episode was enjoyable as always. James the Sagacious, big kill on Twitter, says the show is peak entertainment. talin continues to steal the show for me. Uh, penultimately we hear from diana bodenberg i who says i mean you can't beat a pirate party the captain and, and number one on the orion ship sounded a lot like mariner and captain freeman uh lots of fun this week and they dropped some orion knowledge on us very nice boims and ruthy were killing me with their dueling twains glad they worked their issues out but couldn't save little boney in the end r.i.p little boney uh, and then the last tweet, Pete, comes from Spider-Ham Lincoln uh, at TessLC139. Something borrowed, an alternative title, and ever the twain shall meet. Yep. Was, <laughs> well done. Uh, was an ex, a fun extra story this season. A tasty side of steamed broccoli on the lower deck's dinner plate sitting next to a buttery baked potato and juicy prime rib. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all are part of a delicious and well balanced meal, but the broccoli is not the entree, nor is it the most desirable part of the ensemble. Uh, I think that's a fair way to put it. This was, this was, this was some some nice broccoli. No complaints about the broccoli. Next week, will we get koala steak? Time will tell.
1: I do love me some broccoli,
0: Pete. This broccoli sojourn made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com/slash Fantastic Geek. They heard first about that uh, google meet link for tonight's fantastic geek chat fest but uh day in and day out week in and week out we could not do this without the support of those on patreon
1: yes and a little extra something something for the 10th anniversary recorded and put up a little earlier this week uh, so it takes just a dollar a month to get you into to our Patreon page. All sorts of exclusive content there. Can't contribute right now? Get over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating or review to any of
0: our 34, soon to be 35 podcast feeds. And indeed, Pete, let's keep the Star Trek conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on social media?
1: You can find me on Twitter and threads at Peter, P I E T E R J K L R K 12,645 followers. Can't be wrong.
0: Pete, before we give contact info, just want to do an update to the update to the update. I know that we had mentioned uh, a possible switch for Lower Decks from Sundays to Saturdays once Loki started. But now that Loki is coming on Thursdays as well star trek sundays shall remain so uh there's that there i guess that'll be mean loki saturdays but uh, looking forward to keeping the sunday spot for lower decks with that out of the way pete uh i can be found on twitter as looking back lost but let's keep the star trek conversation going on these star trek sundays you can comment on fantasticgeek.com. you can check us out on twitter instagram gmail and threads but wait pete there's more
1: facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today
0: pete can't wait to test out the hashtag pete's koala theory as these lower decks episodes continue to unfurl with that i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word
1: celebrating a lack of purpose is illogical I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?